Hey, everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, where we talk about all that and then some. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book. And if you don't already have yourself a copy, please go pick one up at your local bookstore, at the library, Amazon, Target.com, you know, where we get your books. And yes, there's a Kindle version too. So the book is where this conversation, this podcast of ours started. And if you're pregnant, if you know someone who's pregnant, or you take care of women who get pregnant, I want you to get your hands on this book because that's where we it started. And then download a bunch of, li- of episodes and um, listen in on what people are talking about. The book is a different take on, and, and the podcast really, is a different take on prenatal care and labor and delivery care. And it's based on my 20 years as a labor nurse, but also my lifetime as a feminist, plus a wee bit about me and my life as a mom. So go get the book. Listen to back episodes, subscribe, give us a rating, bring other people into this conversation. It's important, especially right now, that we're talking, right? That we're talking all of this stuff through. So today, for this episode, this week's episode, we're going to talk about something that there's really no easy way to discuss. We're going a little dark this week, and I'm sorry for it, but that's the way it is sometimes with life, right? Before we get to this week's guest, who's going to help me talk about the impact sexual assault has on women's pregnancies and health and prenatal care and births. And, you know, she's also going to help me talk about what the Kavanaugh confirmation means for women. I want to highlight, you know, some good things that we're celebrating. This is National Midwifery Week, September 30th to October 6th. Uh, where it was created by the American College of Nurse Midwives to celebrate and recognize midwives and midwife-led care. I see you, midwives. You're the best. I love you guys, and I think you're doing incredible work. Keep it up. Yay. Let's see. It's also International Day of the Girl this week, which is celebrated every year on the 11th of October to promote girls' empowerment and fulfillment of their human rights, while also highlighting the challenges that girls all over the world face. Now, this isn't just about girls in other countries. It's about all girls everywhere. These are the girls that hold all the potential for change in the world because, come on, let's get real. If that's going to happen, if we're going to change the world for the better, it's going to be because girls and women do it. And from what we're seeing these days, it's clear that it's not going to be the good old boys who do the changing to make this world you know, what we know it can be. Nope. It's going to be women. And some of those women are girls right now, and we're going to celebrate them on the 11th. So, hey, girls, I see you too. Go get it. Go make that bright future and better world we need you to make. We've got you. Okay. It's also the week of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation to the Supreme Court. Now, we started talking about this back in episode 135, where we talked about Anita Hill's testimony against then Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas. Now, her testimony was as powerful as anything we saw last week, though at the time, she too was, you know, judged harshly for the way that she presented. She was vilified. And of course, Clarence Thomas still sits on the Supreme Court today. That's the long lasting effect of a Supreme Court confirmation. It's a lifetime appointment to make decisions for 
all Americans in the highest court of the land. So then last week, I talked about Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony and Judge Brett Kavanaugh's rant. That's what I'm going to call it. This week, I want to talk about this with another woman. And then I want to talk more about how this topic connects directly with women's health, with maternity care, and women's experiences, both in and out of their OBGYN and midwife's offices. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get Chris Beard, Certified Nurse Midwife, on the line to talk about all that. Okay, we're back, and we're ready for our dear friend, Chris Beard, who has... Now, Chris has been on the podcast lots and lots to help us break down information we need. In fact, um, she was on the podcast just a couple weeks back when we talked about the uh, recent... NIH study about inductions. So go on back and check that out if you haven't already. And with no further ado, let's call Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Jeannie, how are you? I'm okay, considering where we are right now in history. It's Friday, Kavanaugh hearings. But before we get into that, our listeners should know by now that you're a certified nurse midwife at Kaiser here in Portland, Oregon, and that you've been taking care of pregnant women and families for decades. And still, you know how we do around here on the podcast. My first question is, who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Chris Beard. I'm a CNM at Kaiser Permanente in Portland, Oregon. I'm a mother of two kids and a native Oregonian who loves the outdoors. I know. And you go camping and, um, you know, I always have tremendous envy of your life when I catch you on social media. Well, wow. It's not that hard to have this life. <laughs> you go camping, you go out in the woods, you go and do things and see things with your kids. I do. I do. It's what yeah. makes me happy. I, yeah, me too. I do the same. I do the same. Yeah. Well, we are talking, Chris, on a big, big day. And it's the day that the Senate voted to move Brett Kavanaugh ahead towards a final vote um, for confirmation in the Supreme Court. And we anticipate that that this is Friday. And we anticipate that that vote will probably be tomorrow. Now, we don't know for sure yet what will happen, but almost certainly by the time this episode uh, airs, we anticipate that the Senate will have voted. And I, for one, am pretty sure that they're going to vote to confirm Kavanaugh. I'm not at this moment 100% sure, but I'm I'm pretty, I mean... (laughs) How about you? How about you, Chris? I wish I could disagree with you, but um, unfortunately, with the news that Susan Collins has decided to support this man for the Supreme Court, I think I don't think there's much hope that someone is going to come out of the woodwork to vote no. I don't know. Not at this point. You know, I've learned a lot about politics since 2016. I'd have to say mm-hmm. that prior to 2016, I was not very political. And uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, a privilege of my race and gender and economic status. But now I am very political. And um, what I have learned is that 
they don't move, they, meaning Mitch McConnell, does not move anything forward in the Senate for a vote unless he's confident he has the votes. Yeah. So they wouldn't be voting tomorrow unless they were confident they were going to get their 51 votes. Right. I'm really still, I'm, I'm going to hold out just that, you know, birthday fairy tale wish that somebody's going to step forward and do the right thing. But I'm, yeah. Well, yeah. it's, um, I, I would like to hold out for that wish too, but I, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you do it for both of us. Okay. All right. I am generally crazy optimistic. And I mean, ridiculously optimistic, serious pie in the sky reacher, me. But this year is kind of um, beating me about the head a little bit. How are you doing? Well, uh, it depends on the day that you talk to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I am deeply distressed about the world that's going to be left for my children, for my daughters in particular. And so if I get caught up in that, um, I'm not doing so well. And if mm-hmm. I turn shift my focus to the things that I have control over, like my life, my work, my family, then I'm doing a little bit better. And I'm, you know, I talked to a really dear friend of mine this morning who lives in another state that happens to be a deeply red state. And mm-hmm. she said, I'm just going to give up. And I said, well, you can't, Valerie, you can't give up. And she said, well, I'm going to vote and I'm just going to do the things that make me happy because I don't have any control over what happens. And I think she's right. I think, you know, it's a fine line between, quote, giving up and trying to live your life the best that you can in the circumstances that we have. So what I've learned since 2016 is that you have to speak up, you have to vote, you have to encourage everyone you know who's of voting age to vote, and you have to call out injustice. Um, And we're lucky that we live in a deeply blue state, or at least we live in a deeply blue part of our state, and our Mm -hmm. senators are working for my values. So I'm not making a ton of phone calls because my senators are already voting the way I I would prefer that they vote. Um, But it's a very unsettling time as a mother and as a woman. But, you know, even though our senators and you and I have the same senators um, are uh, highly representative of our values. And, you know, basically all we'd have to do is call them up and say, good job. Thank you. Um, The amount of calls on a positive level saying something like that or saying, hey, great, I really appreciate you're supporting this, um, are absolutely drowned out by the flood of negative calls. And so when I go and I speak with, you know, Senator Merkley or Senator Wyden's office, their staff members will tell us, call anyways, so that we can document that, look, we've got Um, you know, this many constituents in our district that are in favor of this. We've got this many who are not, but if they're not hearing from the constituents who are in favor, then they don't have that um, documentable power. And people will say, you know what, 
they're not documenting these calls. Well, they should be. That is their job. And I think that that what's happening in a lot of um, congressional offices right now is that they're so flooded and overwhelmed with phone calls that they're probably right. Not every call is being documented, but they know what's happening. In the real world where we used to lobby and advocate, every call was documented. And at the end of the day, your senator or congressperson would get a tally of who called to talk about what. And we've asked, you know, so how many how many phone calls does it take for, you know, the, the senator to be impressed or to, you know, to want to take a look at that? And um, notice, and you'd think that it'd be hundreds, but it's actually something more like 20 or 30, just 20 or 30 positive phone calls or negative phone calls on an issue is enough to catch their attention. Well, that's good advice to continue to call to express your opinion. Um, I will have to remember that because I do make a, you know, I I do make calls. I send faxes. Um, I don't write letters, but I try to get my... um, Mm -hmm my opinion out there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say postcards are better than letters because they don't have to be screened Good in idea. the same way, you know? And in this week where somebody sent something in the mail trying to get it to President Trump, um, you know, that's they're going to be screening, they're going to be looking. But postcards, you just have to look at one side or the other. And I know that a lot, a lot, a lot of people – um, in my neighborhood, there's a there's a group of women who meet every Wednesday, and they um, fill out postcards that together and decorate them and send them off on various advocacy issues. And lately, it's all been about getting out. And there's vote. a group in my neighborhood as well. Um, so I think that's an that's an awesome yeah that's an awesome thing. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, if if you aren't already politically engaged. Something as simple as, you know, get out the vote postcards with your friends on a morning, you know, that's doing it. That's doing it. And, you know, I, I, I respect that Valerie has that feeling, your friend Valerie, of I'm just going to give up because I think that a lot of us are at the point of giving up the outrage. We, we maybe can't sustain it because every day is outrageous. But the most important thing is she said, well, I'm going to vote. And I think that if you do nothing else, then you've done what you need to do. If you can do a little bit more, then you find your way to advocate. You know, And maybe it's postcards and coffee. Maybe it's holding a meeting with your senator. Maybe it's you know, telling your sister what you've been reading. You know, but, but you know what, I think, I think, Chris, that I want you to help me connect the dots for some of our listeners who aren't quite clear yet how this really impacts women's health and specifically prenatal health. Can you help me do that a little bit? Uh, How this, which this? If Kavanaugh is confirmed to the Supreme Court and we have a, an overwhelming, um, imbalance of very conservative uh, judges. What does that mean? Well, that means they're going to impart their very conservative values on any judgment that they're called to render. And, um, you know, there's always, you're more politically savvy than I am, but um, 
there is a big tussle between states' rights and national rights. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, they'll never turn over Roe v. Wade um, because it's already been decided. And I'm not convinced that that's actually true. I think that you don't have to completely overturn something to um, gut it. And, you know, you can kill something with the death of a thousand cuts. And and we know that... um, you know, abortion is a very polarizing issue, and a lot of people um, cast their vote on that issue alone. But there are many other issues that the conservative folks in the USA feel very differently about than I do. For example, abstinence-only sex education. Mm-hmm. We know that doesn't work. The research shows it doesn't work. And yet this is what the conservative folks want us to be doing, and they're removing um, funding for programs that offer, uh, I would say, reality-based sex education versus abstinence-only sex education. They can um, rescind funding for Planned Parenthood, which provides health screening and um, health treatment for women all over this country, including contraception and abortion care. But they do many, many other things besides that. Um, Right. In so, many ways, I think that the abortion issue is sort of like um, the big issue that they're shining in people's eyes to distract from all the other things. We know it's a polarizing event or, or issue, but it's not the only thing. It's a fraction. It's a fraction of the decisions that could be made um, on the Supreme Court that could impact our health care. So many things we don't even know, like- the Affordable Care Act, correct, or um, you know, pre-existing conditions, yes. or making decisions about whether or not employers and insurance companies even have to insure pregnant women. You know, just so many decisions are made at that level. And you know, the fact that um, before the Affordable Care Act. Uh, pregnancy was considered a pre-existing condition for some plans, which means that women were not covered for pregnancy if they'd been pregnant before they got the insurance. Um, We know that a large portion of pregnancies in the United States are not planned. And so those women who are not planning a pregnancy could find themselves in insurance no man's land. And when you don't have insurance to cover prenatal care, it's sometimes it's not a priority for you because you've got to feed your children. You've got to put a roof over your head. And if you don't have money for prenatal visits, then you don't go. And we know what happens when you don't receive prenatal care is that, you know, you're not screened for preexisting health problems. You're not screened for developing pregnancy problems. And people do not have the kind, the safe, optimal outcomes that having good prenatal care affords you. There's higher risk of preterm birth. There's higher risk of hypertension and all kinds of things which have bad impacts on women's health. I know. And, you know, unplanned pregnancy was a big portion of my pregnancies. And, you know, one of my my children, I got pregnant with her at a time when we didn't have health insurance or our health insurance actually didn't cover prenatal care. It was just one of those gaps. And so... Um, it was unaffordable for me 
and I was a nursing student at that time. I, you know, I was pretty savvy about the healthcare system, still could not access it. So a midwife delivered that girl in her office, and I was very fortunate, had a very good outcome. But that shouldn't be a decision you have to make based on finances. And yet these are the kinds of decisions more and more that are going to be made by the Supreme Court. What about immigration issues? How many women right now are not accessing prenatal care because they're afraid of deportation or having someone in their household? You know, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. And it really, I mean, to me, it goes, I mean, at the core of this whole, at the core of what we're talking about right now is just a deep, it's a deeply misogynistic culture that we're living in. And I think it's just, you know, coming to the light um, for a Mm -hmm. lot of us. I mean, many women, certainly women of color and um, women who've, other women who've had experiences that showed them this nature of our culture earlier in their lives have known this for a long time. But I think it's just becoming really clear that our culture thinks that teenage boys should not be accountable for their actions because what about their future? And But teenage girls sure will be. Teenage girls sure will be. And they will be denied health care. They will be denied the same rights as boys. And, you know, it's just as the mother of teenage girls, it is, it's really a, a heavy burden right now for me to think about, mm-hmm. you know, my, do- I, I don't know if your listeners know this, but my daughters are both adopted from China and China mm-hmm. has a very, um, a culture where the individual is not important. It's all about the, the, the whole, the many, the masses. And so mm-hmm. when, when they were babies and I brought them here, I was feeling like, Oh, it's going to be so great for them. They're growing up in a country where, you know, being a, there's no burden to being a girl and they can be an individual. And now I don't really feel that way. I don't know if that's making sense what I'm saying, but you know, I felt like they would have a better life in the USA than they were going to have if they had stayed in China. And I still believe that, but I don't believe the list of what's better for them is shorter. If that makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. So I'm just feeling, so, you know, this morning I'm just feeling incredibly sad about all of the all of the hopes that are getting flushed down the toilet with this ascension of someone who's quite unsuitable for the Supreme Court to be probably right. ascending there tomorrow. Right. And right. you know, not to be too dark and gloomy, but we better just hope that Ruth Bader Ginsburg does not die during this administration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is, there is hope in November. Yes. The midterms are super, super important. Let's not go completely dark here because that's the point. That's the point where people give up for real. And what we need, even if what you're doing is you're giving up the intensity or you're giving up the outrage, you can't give up and not vote. You have to go vote your truth on November 6th. Absolutely. You have to vote for your, your senators and Congress people, and you have to make 
you have to do it. You have to do it. You have, you have to, to do, do it. it. And yeah. I would say that you also have to coax someone who might not be as committed as you to do it. So, so yeah. my daughter is going to be 18 during the next presidential election. And, you know, in our state, we're lucky that we um, get a voter's pamphlet in the mail and we get to vote by mail. So we have the opportunity mm-hmm. to really talk about any issues that are not clear to us and look at, you know, what's printed in the voter's pamphlet and make decisions um, on a thoughtful and uh, personal timeline. And I've decided Mm -hmm. that before the next presidential election, I'm getting a bunch of pizzas. I'm having all of my daughter's friends bring their ballots and their voters pamphlets to my kitchen And we're going to sit around in a circle and they're going to vote and we're going to drive to the library where there's a ballot drop-off box and drop off those ballots that I, that I want them to be, I want them to understand how important this right is. And I want them to remember the first time they voted so that they, I was listening. Go on. Go ahead. I was listening to something probably on NPR this week where um, I believe that it is Australia has mandatory voting. Everybody has to vote. And um, what that ends up doing is it creates a different type of political bell curve. The way it is here in the United States, we have people on the polls, the extreme right and the extreme left, who are showing up at the polls in you know, in large numbers. But, you know, the the rest of the people, the rest of us who are somewhere in between those polls aren't showing up enough. So what's happening is we're having these ridiculous fights. Because there's no middle. The rest of us, right, we need the middle. Bring the middle. You have to do it, you guys. You have to show up and be the middle. Otherwise, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. But, you know... I want to shift gears just a little bit because, you know, one, you know, millions of women around the world right now, myself include, included, have stepped forward in recent months to say me too. And now you and I have always known that sexual assault and the trauma that it causes um, can show up in all kinds of areas in women's lives, but very acutely in reproductive healthcare settings during pregnancy, during labor, during routine care in the delivery room. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that today, about, about that impact on women's health care. So how often do women come and tell you that they've been assaulted? Women don't, women are not comfortable sharing that they've been assaulted as a rule. Um, we do have a question, a prenatal questionnaire where there is a question, uh, um, have you, I don't know how the, I don't think it's worded victim. Have, have you ever experienced a rape or sexual assault and people can check yes or no, or they can leave it blank. And in my experience, the people who leave it blank are not ready to share. And the people who check yes, um, are often, not ready to share a lot, but they have acknowledged that this has happened to them in the past. So we know that one in five women in their lifetime will experience sexual violence 
whether that's from a partner or from a stranger one, or from it's an acquaintance. It's one in three. It's okay. one in three. It's one in three will report it. One in three will report it globally, but something like 60 to 70% will never report so it. So this impacts, you know, many, many women. And I would say that during the last couple of weeks, I have, um, I've heard a lot more stories and a lot more people telling their truth um, after Dr. Ford um, yeah. came forward. And women are impacted by sexual assault and sexual abuse their entire lives. And people work to overcome a lot of the um, consequences, but, you know, the effects follow people forever. And so the way it presents itself to me is that a lot of times people don't share their experience of sexual violence or sexual assault, but the way they respond to a physical exam, the way they respond to labor, if they've had something happen in their past, you see it in their behavior, in their response to pain, their response to um, exams, their response to everything that happens during labor. Don't you think? I do. I do. So how does this, how does this help you plan her care or, or how do you, I guess, in what ways is the care that, you know, a labor nurse or a midwife or a doctor gives to a woman who is exhibiting signs or who has told us that she has experienced sexual assault? How does it differ from, you know, well, I would say that we should treat all women with respect and give them control but my experience is that women who've had sexual assault in their life want to be in control of what happens to their bodies. So, you know, they need to be the one who says, yes, I'm okay with a cervical exam right now, or yes, I'm willing to Mm -hmm. get back in the bed right now, or no, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be touched. I don't, I don't want to be examined. And I think we have to respect that. Um, I would argue that, yeah, that's the moment right there. There's that moment right there where a woman says, no, I don't want to be um, touched. But so often patients won't say that because then they're afraid we'll be mad at them and we won't give them So if someone care. shares their history and is um, and asks for a certain kind of care during labor, like if they say, you know, I was the victim of sexual violence. I don't like to be in the dark. I don't like the curtains closed. I don't, you know, whatever it is that they don't like, we can work with them to make sure that we don't duplicate that experience. Mm-hmm. But most of the time we're not going to, people are not going to be that open with us. And I think we have to listen to women. What are they telling us? What are they telling us with their words? And what are they telling us with their behavior and with their bodies? And Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like to think that nurses and midwives are very tuned in to women and how they and what they need during their labor or during their prenatal care, during their well woman care. Um, and I, I, I just want us to listen to women. What are they saying? What are they asking for? Yeah, I want it to, I want us to get to the point where every woman can feel confident that when she says no, the answer is, okay, no problem. I respect that. 
not, you know, well, you know what? You got to get back in bed. I said you need to get back in bed, you know, mm-hmm. and bullying, which so often happens. Mm-hmm. Or if I don't do that cervical exam right now, there's no way we're going to know what's going on, you know, and, and women get bullied. And that actually, you know, most of the time we can get by without doing one, <laughs> you know, oh, absolutely. most of the time absolutely. we, yeah, we don't really need that information. If the baby is on its way, we will know. And if she doesn't want to get back in bed, there's other things we can do. Right. We don't have to be the one bossing her around. She should be the boss. Yeah. She should be yeah. the boss, especially Absolutely. women who have an abuse background. Being the boss helps them um, helps them feel in control. Mm-hmm. And when you have an abuse background, there's a lot of, I wasn't in control of what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So to the labor nurses out there who are right now saying, yeah, but you know, we know what's best for her. We've got her on the monitor. We see what's going on. We know what we need to do. I want you to, I'm going to challenge you to think a little bit differently. You don't know if your patient has been sexually assaulted or not. Go ahead and assume maybe she has and treat her as if with the respect that she deserves. Think creatively, think differently. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think that, what do you think that we're learning about women right now in the Me Too era? And, and how does, how does that connect or, you know, what is, what does the Kavanaugh hearing mean in that context? It's a big question. I know. It's a big question. You're you're bringing up the dark ones today. Um, I know it. I know it. And it's raining here in Portland. It's one of our first rainy days in fall. And I am just a wee bit Eeyore-ish. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, you're, it's, it's, um, I'm there with you. Well, I think what I'm learning is that um, sexual violence and sexual assault are much more prevalent than even me as an educated person realized. And that what I'm hearing across the board from friends and acquaintances and from Dr. Ford is that people remember the details very, very sharply. And some Mm -hmm. of the, some of the, um, particulars may or may not be remembered, like the date, the place, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And, you know, this is lifelong trauma that we're talking about. And I think we have a culture that is set up to minimize this trauma for women. And um, to me, what, what came out in this last two weeks of stuff is that um, behavior when people are young is often excused and like it doesn't matter when it's when you're a man when you're a male yeah but yeah it matters it matters and um, I think that I would like to see every woman be listened to every woman be believed. I think as the mother of a teen son who was 
Oh, my goodness. Certainly not disrespectful of women. He was raised by a feminist and he had, it was surrounded by sisters and <laughs> they made it their duty to make sure he was toeing the line. Um, however, he was a rambunctious youth, if we could put it that way. And I do think that that there is room for accountability and forgiveness for boys when they screw up in their teen years. They need to be held accountable. They also need to be, I think, dosed out a huge batch of forgiveness because we know that teenagers do things that they would they'd never do in the rest of right. their life once they've matured and you know prefrontal cortex development and all of that stuff however <clears throat> sexual assault if you're sexually assaulting women in your teen years that really says a lot about you if you're sexually assaulting women in your college years that really it paints a picture doesn't it, it says a lot about your character this isn't somebody who should be making decisions about women's lives and women's health in the highest court of the land. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the other thing to look at is temperament, you know, mm -hmm. the, yeah, that was on display last right. week. The partisanship and the temperament um, really, really disqualify him for be, for being getting a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah. I personally have done a lot of reading and a lot of um, um, listening to um, what people have said about Brett Kavanaugh and what Brett Kavanaugh has said about himself. And I believe that he lied and perjured himself under oath more than a few times during that testimony. And, you know, I was a college student in the 80s. I went to a small liberal arts college where binge drinking was kind of the norm. And there were mm -hmm. quite a few Brett Kavanaugh's on my campus. And um, I was mm -hmm. not part of the Greek system. So somehow I think I was protected from having um, too many close encounters with those folks. But there was one person that was kind of, a, you know, everybody knew you didn't want to go to a dance or on a date with this guy. And just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. I Googled his name and lo and behold, he's a lawyer. So hmm. I think that the hmm. good old boy 80s college scene that was described in by many people during this process is a real thing. And, you know, drinking until you're blackout mm -hmm. drunk is a real thing. So for Brett Kavanaugh to say he mm -hmm. liked beer is just, it's, it's a Ten misrepresentation <laughs> of, of the kind of life that others describe him as leading as a college student and a high school student at an exclusive, you know, high school in the Washington DC area. So, so even if even if he wasn't the guy that he said he was, even if eventually he had this, you know, huge moment of enlightenment where he learned to respect women and give up the, you know, blackout drinking. He still, he still lied, lied about, about it. it. And today. you know, I would have Yeah. 
I would have been, been ups, I would have still had a political difference and not wanted him on the court. Um, I, I have political differences. I don't want him on the court for his political reasons. But if he had said on the stand, you know, I had a drinking problem as a young person. I go to AA. I haven't had a drink in 20 years. I've made my amends to those people. Yes, I drank, I drank until I was blacking out. Mm-hmm. That would have had some integrity. And that would have gone on the on yeah. the pro side of the pros and cons list. At least he could be honest about his past. And I felt that what I heard right. and what I saw was someone who was lying under oath repeatedly, someone who was belligerent, and someone who was um, completely unhinged, pulling in all these conspiracy theories. And that is not someone we need on the Supreme Court. Really and truly. No, it's not. And he was also completely, completely partisan. partisan. How is he going to, yeah, yeah. How is he going to make decisions for? For um, all of the people. For yeah. America. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, think yeah, he yeah. can. Yeah. Just like I don't think that our current president um, is president for all of the people. Well, you're I not going to get any dear. argument from me, babe. Not true. one bit. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We need to probably wrap this up today, but I do, I, I want to kind of close this out with something that is very applicable for, for women who are pregnant today. What do they need to know about their health care if they've been assaulted? Say, I'm sorry, Jeannie, you're going to have to say that again. What should pregnant women know or do today about their health care if they've been sexually assaulted? So if women feel comfortable sharing that with their provider, their midwife or their physician, I would encourage them to do that. Um, I would encourage them to speak up and ask for what they need and to be firm in, in how they want to be treated during labor and how they want to be treated during their care. Say no if someone is um, wanting to do something that you're not comfortable with. Ask for more time. You know, I need to think about that. I'm not ready for that. You know, speak up because it is your body and it is your experience. And I would say mm-hmm. become an advocate for yourself. But if you can confide in the person that's taking care of you, I, I believe that women's health care practitioners, both physicians and midwives, nurse practitioners, PAs, are wanting to guide you through your pregnancy and your labor in the way that you need to be guided. They want to help mm-hmm. you. So yeah. we can we can help you better if we know what you need. Yeah. 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 Well, Chris... My last two questions are always the same too, but I always like to hear what you say. How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that um, being a women's health care person was so political. (laughs) So true. And our last question then is, where are you in your life as a mom? 
Well, in my life as a mom, I have a high school student who is beginning to explore the college possibilities. So in my life as a mom, I am visiting colleges. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> having yeah, having just taken my youngest to college a month and a half ago. Yeah, maybe you and I should talk in about a year and a half. It's hard one. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting journey. Um it's an interesting yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to save that for another episode. Taking your kids to see colleges, which means basically you are signing yourself off from the best job you ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Another episode, babe. Another episode. We have so much more to talk about. Thank you, Chris, for having this important conversation with us. Well, Jeannie, thank you for being, um, always being curious and wanting to help women understand the world around us and where we're at and make the best um, choices that we can. It's what we do, huh? It is what we do. It's what we do. Yeah. All right. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Thanks, Jeannie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Chris Beard, certified nurse midwife. You can find out more about me over at jeanfaulkner.com and you can email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. And I always get more emails when I spell my name. So jean is J-E-A-N-N-E, Faulkner, F as in Frank, A-U-L-K-N-E-R. Tweet me at Jean Faulkner. Ask me your questions, get in touch, that sort of thing. And please buy the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and we'd sure appreciate it if you'd leave a nice review and a five-star rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. We're on Spotify now, too, so give us some love, will ya? That's it for this week. Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting and Podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. We are a member of the Parents on Demand Network, a curated collection of parenting podcasts. So go check that out. Parents on Demand Network. We'll talk to you later, folks. Bye-bye. <laughs>